Today's podcast session is supported by Uphill. So if you ask a therapist who's doing clinical work what the bane of their existence is, usually progress notes are in the top one to two. I'm not naming any names, but when I was doing clinical work, I remember I had several colleagues who would get so backed up on clinical notes, so they would end up spending their nights and weekends trying just to catch up. Honestly, who wants to do that? And this is where Appeal comes in. Appeal is AI-powered case notes. Now, I know for many of us, when we hear the word AI, we're, there's like a natural skepticism. And honestly, I had that skepticism as well until I got to meet with the Appeal team and learn about some of the many ways that they are doing this in a way that is HIPAA compliant and also doesn't sell data to anyone and also protects our clients as well. You can learn more about Uphill and the awesome work that they're doing in the world uh, by going to sellingthecouch.com forward slash Uphill. And Uphill is uh, spelled U-P and then H-E-A-L, all one word. And at checkout, be sure to enter the promo code COUCH25, C-O-U-C-H, and the number 25 to get 25% off your Uphill plan for the first two months. Hello, hello. Welcome to session 210 of Selling the Couch. Hope you're having an awesome October. I'm actually recording this at the end of September, just because I like to get a little bit ahead with podcast episodes. But I hope that if you're in a part of the country where it's fall right now, I hope that you're transitioning well to the fall season. And I hope that you're enjoying this time of the year. My podcast topic today is one that it's based on giving presentations. And I know that for many of us, we have a desire to give presentations, particularly in front of other professionals. And my guest today is Marie Vakakis. Marie is actually a clinician in Australia, and Marie was very gracious enough to record this interview at midnight her time in Australia. And Marie's website is over at evexiacounselingservices.com.au and then insidesocialwork.com. And Marie and I are actually talking about doing presentations and some of the things that she's learned along the way. Marie's, through her counseling service, she's given a number of trainings, particularly in the realm of teens and youth, everything from teen mental health first aid to to youth mental health first aid to non-suicidal self-injury, a range of different topics to a lot of clinicians. And she's learned a lot of stuff around the way. And particularly we're talking today about mindset, because I think for many of us, we have this desire to want to speak in front of others, but we also have a fear. You know, I know for me, is this still something I'm working through, especially as I think about doing bigger presentations and speaking through at conferences and things like that, but feeling like this question of who am I to be giving these presentations? And so, especially if you're in a place like that, I hope that today's podcast is particularly helpful for you. Before we do get to today's podcast session, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting today's podcast session. If you guys are looking for electronic health records and you're wanting to switch out of paper and just looking for an electronic health records company that has an awesome reputation in our field, I encourage you to check out 
therapy notes. I'll tell you a little bit more about this at the end of our session, but one of the really cool things is there's actually an entire client portal. And so you can bill for insurance within the EHR itself. And then you could also both print out super bills for clients that may be out of network, or you can actually submit those claims through therapy notes as well. You can learn more about therapy notes over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. So we'll get right to today's podcast conversation. Here's my conversation with Marie Bakakis from Avexia Counseling services.com.au. Hey, Marie, welcome to Selling the Couch. Thanks for having me, Melvin. It's really awesome to be talking with you today. Yeah, and you are a trooper because it is midnight in Australia, and I'm grateful, one, you're a semi-night owl. <laughs> I'm grateful that you know you took time out of your day to, to come on the podcast. That's okay. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm excited for this topic because I know that a lot of folks that are listening have dreams about teaching other professionals. But I know for me, a lot of times what can happen is I have this whole internal dialogue about who am I to be teaching and you know all of those things. So I'm really excited to, to hear from you and, and learn as much as we can. Great. I'm glad that you say that you also have that fear because those exact same comments that make me feel like I'm not alone in this kind of worry and imposter syndrome. Yeah, well, it is really interesting. I, I'll see if I can put this in the show notes page, but I was reading something. Actually, one of our community members shared this about, I would say about a year and a half ago, but they were talking about that, you know, the people that actually have, a lot of people that have a lot of knowledge and expertise actually still feel like imposters. And I thought that was such an interesting thing. Yeah, I think it's true. It's something I hear a lot of people saying, and there's all these stories of actors and actresses and musicians and philanthropists, all these people who just still feel like at any moment, I'm going to be caught out as a fraud and people are going to see right through me and tell me I don't belong here. Or So it's really interesting that it's so, I think it's actually really common. You know, I didn't know, and it is common. Like I didn't realize how common, because I think for many of us, we feel it and we're and there's a certain shame or a certain certain embarrassment about it and we're like oh i can't tell anyone else you know yeah i definitely feel that and i think that's probably what has been the most interesting for me in my private practice is i think i have to practice what i preach a little bit and i'm getting people to work through some of those same feelings i can't ignore mine i have to to really acknowledge them and start working through them if i'm going to be giving that same support and advice to others right yeah, one of the, the the many joys of our profession that we get to work on our own stuff as it comes up. Yes, it's delightful. I actually wanted to kind of take a step back and kind of start at the beginning. So what made you want to teach other professionals or even think about doing that? It happened accidentally. I was My career as a social worker started off in aged care and I, I kept moving into younger and younger populations trying to do some more early intervention and even some prevention work working in schools and an opportunity presented itself to do some training with some of the staff members and in order to pass this particular course it was the one I was doing was youth mental health first aid I had to present a component of that course in order to pass the course and it sort of hit me like I'm terrified of public speaking. I'm terrified of standing up in front of teachers and parents and people who could be double my age or have decades more experience. I can't do this. And But it was the last day of the course. So I, I practiced, I practiced, I got through it. The feedback was really positive and I thought maybe I can do this. 
and I'm not telling someone what to do, but I'm facilitating a, a conversation. I'm facilitating content. So it was my way of being able to do some of that early intervention work and that prevention work where if I could give people some extra tools in their tool belt, acknowledge what they're already doing really well, I could have a larger effect to more young people. So I had to reframe it in my mind as I didn't enjoy it at the start. It was actually really difficult and it got easier as I went through. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like in many ways, I never imagined doing like a podcast where I would be public speaking, but you're right. Like, I feel like the more you do it, the, the easier that it does get. You said something very interesting, which I was curious about. You said, you know, you began to see it as you had expertise in the area, but more that you were just facilitating conversation. And I love that reframe, you know, because that's true that we don't have to feel like we are the expert on this topic. And in a way, I mean, you can, you know, I think all of us have that humility to say, you know what, sometimes I don't know the answer, but let's, let's talk or I can get back to you and those kind of things. Yeah. And I think it's something I learned over time. I think one of the things I noticed when I first graduated is I was probably a little bit more confident and thinking, okay, I have this degree under my belt. I can go out and I can tell people how to fix their problems and I'll have all these magical, insightful moments. And it started to become quite humbling when I started learning from my clients or the people I was working with and they bring a real vulnerability to those sessions and you think, I don't have the answer for this. Sometimes the best thing I can do is sit with this. And that was kind of a turning point of seeing myself as more of a facilitator, more as a guide, a coach. There's a whole range of different ways to look at it rather than that really traditional, I'm telling you what to do, you're going to listen to it. We know that doesn't work. Right. And I feel like, especially in this day and age, a lot of things are shifting where it is not necessarily that this is, you know, I'm going to stand in front of you and you tell and tell you what to do. I think that that collaborative mindset, I think, is a lot more present in just in general at conferences and presentations and all of those different things. Absolutely. And it's it's sort of what got me thinking about doing my own podcast was, you know, I've been finding them so useful and I've changed, I guess, my career path a little bit and moved into private practice because of podcasts like yours. And there's a few others that have just been so supportive. And I thought perhaps I can be a part of that. I really enjoy teaching. I work with a lot of students graduating from our social work programs here in Australia. You know, even if I get more than just my family listening to these podcasts, that could be a good thing. And it it was bringing it back to what I value and it was valuing someone else's education and valuing what I can contribute rather than it than me seeing it as my deficit or my, you know, imposter syndrome and bringing it back to those values. Yeah, right. It's coming, you're acting based on values as opposed to acting based on fear. Yeah. And the fear still creeps in. Absolutely. Anytime I have a, a new guest or even something like today, I thought it was really funny that the topic was fear and I was terrified. I'm like, am I going to say the right thing? Am I going <laughs> to, you know, it's, is the microphone going to work? Like all these thoughts go through your mind, but it's sometimes it's doing it anyway. <laughs> right. And, and I think that is right. Like, I think a lot, I don't know, the one thing I keep hearing in this is that we all have these fears and sometimes it's moving forward despite our fears, right? Or walking with our fears. Yeah. I think it's also the community that, I mean, I know the community you've built around you is so supportive and they've seen you as being so honest and genuine. And when people give feedback, they give you ways to improve. And I think that's a little bit different to people just throwing criticism out there and 
there are some people that you'll never make happy, but it's if you build the right environment, you have the right people around you and they can say, hey, this was done well, or maybe a learning edge for you is this, or have you thought of doing it this way? You can take that as as feedback and something constructive that you can work towards and work on. Yeah, that's such a good way of looking at it. When you first started, especially presenting or sharing a message to other professionals, what would you say like the like three most common fears that came up for you internally? Was that they would question everything, that they would ask me, what are my credentials? And if was I a parent or was I a teacher or how could I possibly know? So that was one big one. The other was that I would make a mistake and someone would put their hand up or yell out that that's incorrect and they knew better or different. And the rest was probably around logistics that I would have forgotten the connection for the projector or picked the wrong venue or put the wrong start time. Some of those more practical things. Those are such good ones because I feel like those are all things that anyone would struggle with. So I feel like maybe all, each of these could be a podcast conversation. <laughs> yeah. its own. But when you had that fear that people would question everything about you, right? Credentials, your topic. Like, how did you work through that aspect of it? Well, I think all of those things I mentioned as fears actually happened, except the start time and the long location. But I have forgotten my connector. I have forgotten speakers. Everything I did and made a mistake on, I improved for the next one. But with the the participants, for me, it was a bit of a learning curve. And I learned that if I just came at that with honesty and said, there's already so much experience in the room and really credit that, get people to share the value that they bring, acknowledge the desire to be there. They want to either improve, they want to enhance their skills. Maybe they want to just refresh something and make sure they're on the on the right track. So coming together with that collective goal of we're here to work with young people or we're here to support people's mental health and starting the day with that and and being honest saying, I don't have all the answers. I'm going to put a car park, you know, here's the whiteboard or a, a big piece of butcher's paper. As you ask me questions, if I don't know the answer or if it's a little bit off topic, I'll write it down. I'll go back home. I'll do some research. I'll bring you the best resources I can find for that topic. So kind of averting that upfront, I found that to be a little bit more helpful at easing the participants, but also not coming at it as the expert and saying, look, this is, there is some basic content we have to cover. We can customize it. We can share stories as long as we have some safety and confidentiality and our group, you know, group norms, we can make it a little bit more suitable to our individual situations. Yeah, I love the way that you like frame that because one, I think it requires such a level of humility to acknowledge that, you know, you don't know everything. But I also think it would be, I was trying to put myself in your shoes and I think there would be a sense of relief, right? Like that, you know what, if there's somebody asks something that I don't know, I can always write it down on this butcher paper or, you know, I've already told them like, you know, in fact, there's a lot of stuff I don't know and I'm happy to just go back and research and find it. I, I love that. Like, combo of humility and and it's a nice way to like ease some of those fears. It came through practice. It was just like in counseling or in therapy where you have supervision and you reflect on what you could have done differently. Whenever I felt that I got stuck on something or I wanted to improve my training and facilitation skills, I'd reach out to other more experienced people. And I got some really great support and some really great advice from other instructors and other presenters. And I'm still not perfect. I'll still have times where the content might frazzle me or where a particular vibe in the room is just a bit awkward. And adult learners are a little bit different. So they come in often with a lot of experience. It's never a perfect formula. It's, it's constant reflection 
and being honest with people and checking in. So there are times where if someone's looking a bit disinterested, perhaps I'll talk to them at the break and just check in because maybe I'm just misreading their expression or maybe they're tired or there could be a range of things happening. So trying not to hustle and trying not to lose my confidence, but also approaching them and having those discussions if I feel it's going to put me at ease and, and make the group dynamic a little bit stronger and a little bit flow a little bit better. I really like, I mean, it's like a simple tip, but it's so powerful because I know for me, especially, and I still struggle with this to some degree, but when I first started podcasting, when I first started doing more talks, one of the things that I've really, I would personalize, I would interpret people being disinterested or people on the cell phone or people falling asleep, something like that as always a byproduct of my presentation, where it could be my presentation, but it could also be a range of other things, you know, maybe they didn't, you know, maybe they had a baby who didn't, who kept them up at night or, you know, maybe they had an emergency. And I love the fact that you've gotten to a point where you have the humility to realize that everything isn't about me, but then even that extra layer of humility to say, you know what, I'm just going to check in and be present with instead of just listening to my fears and and shutting down or not checking in. Yeah, because I think we make up stories and it really reminds me of a lot of Brene Brown's work. Her work's really helped me kind of be vulnerable and, and be courageous in that space is I remember her telling a story of sitting at a board meeting and someone was kind of looking a bit dissatisfied and you know she was thinking, oh my gosh, I have to fire this person. I just can't stand them in the room. And she went to talk to them one day and the person had just finished a Zumba class and was in physical pain. She was like, oh, I love Zumba. This is great. And the conversation went somewhere completely different. But had she not approached them, she had made up in her mind that that person was bored or disinterested or didn't want to be there. When the person has just gone through a you know high intensity class and was just in a bit of discomfort physically and was really engaged with the presentation. So that was just a really funny example of sometimes we can be so wrong in our assumptions. Yeah, right. And I feel like, I don't know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I feel like for our field, especially especially in the realm of private practice, because we're highly motivated, we're generally tend to be like high achievers. So a lot of times it is like we're real hard on ourselves, you know, I think we are often our harshest critics. So great tips about the, you know, the fear of those questions coming. And then you said the second fear you often had was that you you feel like you would just make a mistake, right? And how did you like work through that fear? Some of it was practical. So actually being really familiar with the content. So making sure all my things were prepared that, you know, if I'm delivering a new course or a new presentation that I'm familiar with the slides that I, I've had a bit of a run through, so nothing catches me off guard. But then also sometimes if I do make a mistake, often the people listening don't know that I was planning on saying something else. So I can kind of roll with it. If I say something that's maybe a slide ahead, I might be able to correct myself and say, we're going to cover this a little bit more after the break or in a few more slides. I'm just going to park it for now and let's flick through. So it's it's a little bit of being dynamic in the room, but also a bit more preparation. And I have had times where perhaps I've rushed and I've, I've gone somewhere and it hasn't gone as well because I didn't take those steps beforehand to make sure I was prepared and familiar with the content. And so if I'm fumbling, then I get flustered and it has a bit of a ripple effect. So It's a bit of both. It's a bit of that practical setup, but also realizing that sometimes people don't know that you had a particular order in mind or a particular topic to cover. So you can work around it a little bit. 
Right. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, when you were saying that, it made me think of like when you're planning a wedding, right? And then on your wedding day, you see all of the things that what should have been this way, but it's this way. But you forget that the people that are attending the wedding don't know what your original vision was and all of those different things, right? And I feel like talks are a lot that way. I think that, yeah, I mean, the the folks that are listening may not, they don't know where you were going to go. They don't know the order of the slides, like you said. They don't know where you wanted to go deeper, where you wanted to throw in a story or any of those things. And so I like that thing about, you know, the making the mistake. So you said one of the things was that you noticed, like, there have been times where you've gotten flustered and, you know, maybe you've gone on a tangent. Have you done anything or what things have you done in the moment to kind of bring yourself back to the present and not, you know, not go down that thing of, oh, Marie, gosh, you've messed up. And, you know, now the rest of this presentation is going to be awful. I often, I feel like I need to take a moment to, I literally have to do all the strategies that I would teach someone to manage anxiety. So I need to do my breathing. I might need to do some sort of finger tapping, might need to have a drink of water. But often I can't do that if I'm standing up in front of people. So I might get them to quickly, how about you turn to the person next to you and discuss this quickly while I go grab the morning tea or the catering. And it gives me a bit of a chance to set them with something to do to discuss while I then go and I can work through the things that I need to work through. I like that. Yeah, just being able to like both be present, but then also like take a step, you know, take a step away and just kind of recenter yourself. Yeah. And also there are times where if I'm not feeling myself, you know, quite up there and upbeat, which happens, you might have a cold, you might have a long night, it could be some back-to-back training. I might let participants know and say, I'm not as energetic as I normally am. You know, I can't project my voice. I have a bit of a sore throat. Is it okay if we sit a little bit closer? I might ask a few people to read bits of the manual so that I can save my voice and just let them. And people, I mean, often in this type of work, they're really caring people. They're really empathic people. They're working with clients in a mental health setting or with young people or with children. They're usually pretty understanding. And I think they appreciate that honesty and seeing them as, as adults and peers and colleagues in similar workspaces. And I haven't had that backfire yet. Working with teenagers is a little bit different because sometimes they don't really care and they just they just think this is great. It's a substitute teacher. I can muck around, but yeah, that's a little bit harder. Right, right. The the last point you said was about logistics. So you said there have been scenarios definitely where you forgot, you know, like certain equipment and things like that. I guess when you're preparing for a presentation, you know, this might be like really silly, but do you have like some sort of a checklist or anything like that you found helpful? I don't have a checklist because I have everything. I usually pack it the night before, but my biggest mistake was I packed everything the night before. I had my backpack with all my resources and my laptop. And I grabbed the backpack and walked out the house and left the laptop sitting on the kitchen bench. And I was like, oh my God. Oh no. (laughs) So lucky my partner had to bring it to me. But since then, I now have it on a USB, on my Google Drive, and on my laptop. So if it does happen again, there's often someone else with a laptop or the facility that I'm hiring has a desktop. So I've problem solved that. So sometimes it's on my Google Drive, it's emailed to myself, it's on a USB, but now I'll pack it and I might put it in the car the night before or it's just, yeah, it's trying to make sure that I have all those things and even some contingencies. So having some extra activities up my sleeve and some extra icebreakers and things that I can work with if I need a bit of time on the technology side of things or the setup doesn't take, it takes a little bit longer than I anticipated. Yeah. I feel like with technology, it's inevitable something is going to happen, right? So yeah. 
Yeah, so I, I like the fact of even slides like having it in three different forms, like on your laptop, on a Google Drive, and on a USB, just in case something gets lost or laptop doesn't power up or anything like that. Yeah, because it can happen, especially when I run training often in other people's workspace. I can't be guaranteed that everything will work smoothly on the day. So every time something goes wrong, I kind of adapt and I, I purchase a new piece of equipment. So now I have some external speakers. So if the speakers don't work and I've even got a portable projector in case I need it, it it's you learn those things as you go along. And I think that's a little bit reassuring is I can see those mistakes as opportunities for, for growth and for practice and development. So, you know, they're not huge failures, but it makes me think, oh, next time I can practically do that a little bit different. So sometimes you just can't know that until it happens. It's like a hope for the best, prepare for the worst kind of scenario, right? Yep. So you, you can do all these things, but realize there is some X factors and inevitably it's going to happen. Marie, I'm just so grateful for you. I know this was just sort of a, a big overview picture, but I feel like the mental aspect of getting ready for a presentation and and handling these things, I feel like it's a something that a lot of clinicians struggle with. And I know that I've had conversations with our colleagues and a lot of them are just wonderful teachers, but I think a lot of these fears stop them. And I'm hoping that today's podcast conversation has just been helpful. So I'm grateful you came on and where can we learn more about you and some of the awesome work that you're doing in the world? I have a podcast where I mainly focus on early career social workers. So that's called Inside Social Work. You can find us on the website, insidesocialwork.com. And I work as a trainer and facilitator for a number of programs in youth mental health, first aid and tuning into teens. And, and they're on my website. So www.avexiacounseling with two L's.com.au. So I can forward you those links. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. And I will definitely put that on the show notes page, which you guys can find over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number two one zero. Marie, thank you again for doing this and have a great rest of your day. Great. Thanks for having me, Melvin. Hey there. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Marie. And especially if you've been thinking about doing presentations and have felt just mentally some sort of a barrier, I hope that today's podcast session has been helpful for you and motivates you to actually start doing presentations. Marie mentioned a number of really cool things. And I think one of the things that really stood out to me is just thinking about you know, I know for me, one of the fears that I have is that even when I do like podcasting webinars, one of the fears I always have is, man, you know, I know that I know a lot of stuff about it. I've made my fair share of mistakes. But what if somebody asks me something that I don't know? I mean, what am I going to do? Am I going to get embarrassed? Or what if I tell them I don't know? Are they going to think less of me? And one of the things that Marie mentioned, which I really love is, you know, seeing yourself as more of a facilitator, and that you don't have to have the answer to every question. And in many times, especially in our field, not knowing something is actually it's a very noble thing. And I think, and having the humility to admit that you don't know anything, I think it's a very good thing. Marie again mentioned a number of resources, including her podcast, which you can check out at insidesocialwork.com. And then her website again is avexiacounselingservices.com. .au and counseling is with two L's. And show notes to today's episode can be found over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash session and the number 2. 2- 
one zero. Again, as we wrap up, I just wanted to take a moment to thank the team over at Therapy Notes for supporting this week's podcast episode. As I mentioned at the beginning, one of the really cool things that Therapy Notes has, they actually have medical billing software built right into the Therapy Notes platform. So it's fully integrated. And the really nice thing is it saves a lot of time and it helps us to get paid faster. So if you, for example, if you accept insurance, then you can, within the electronic health record, you you can manage every step of the way from verifying eligibility all the way to posting payments all in one place. If you also take insurance, you can submit claims and receive updates from over 2,000 payers nationwide directly to your Therapy Notes account. And if you're a private pay clinician or if you do out-of-network benefits, you can actually do quick and easy super bills. So, And then you can submit that claim electronically or you can easily generate a super bill that you can give to clients so that they can get reimbursed more quickly. You can learn more about Therapy Notes and the awesome services that they provide over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash therapy notes. Have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Selling the Couch podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit www.sellingthecouch.com. So if you've been listening to the STC podcast for a while, or you've been listening to podcasts and you've had this thought of, Mel, I would love to launch my own podcast in order to grow my business. Just wanted to encourage you to check out our free podcasting workshop, which is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop. You can basically sign up at a day and a time that works for you. It's 90 minutes. And when I do these workshops or when I record them, I truly believe in quality teaching, so it's going to be well worth your time. We're going to go through gear recommendations and how to launch strategically and how to think about monetizing your podcast and how to line up your podcast with your existing offers and how to do it strategically and authentically uh, and not salesy and slimy um, and all of those things. So again, the link is over at sellingthecouch.com forward slash podcasting workshop.